You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. at that if you didn't it's fine but it may be awkward between us now um y'all welcome back it is a glorious sunday isn't it i think so today my guest is a stupidly talented composer lyricist funny guy and all-around gent drew gasparini it was just announced that he's doing the uh the music for the karate kid musical and if you were like geez do we need this um, yeah, you do. Because if anybody can turn a cult classic film into a tight, boppin' new musical, it's Drew. So trust. Trust him. Trust me. Uh, his music is actually just nonstop bops. Seriously, like, even his ballads are bops. I don't make the rules. It's just how he is. You can stream or purchase his albums through Broadway Records. Uh, it's I Could Use a Drink. And it's, like, really good. And he did not pay me to say that. No one is telling me to say this. I am choosing to say this because I think it's a good album and I think you should listen to it. Anyways, he worked on Smash. Famously, I was a Hitless fan more than I was a Bombshell fan. So drag me musical theater stands. He is releasing a new album called We Aren't Kids Anymore. And it just looks really, really good. Like I saw the voices that he's picked for this album and I was like, oh, okay. Like it's gonna be really good. Anyways. You can find him on all social media platforms under his name. It's not hard. I was going to tell you how to spell it, but you could literally just Google it. It's Drew Gasparini. Anyways, I'll just shut up and let you listen to him introduce himself because he could do it much better than I can. Here he is, Mr. Drew Gasparini. Hello, my name is Drew. I want to know if you would listen to my music. I've been working so damn hard on writing something worth a damn. Hi, my name is Drew. If you like songs with just a hint of potty humor And a pinch of what a brooding, bleeding heart might have to say Then write this away If life was all about the fun side If life was only focused on the joy ride Then we might never see all we should see if life was all about the upside Avoiding every chance to take a nosedive Then we won't see the wreckage Of the greatest parts of me You're welcome! Hi, thanks! Welcome to your home! Welcome to my <laughs> home! Thanks for coming out here all the way to Queens. Dude, I, when I was coming out here, I realized that like one of my best friends lives like two blocks away and I was like, I'm, I'm not, not gonna kidding. call her. Everybody that comes to my house says, you know my best friend lives around the corner from you. Yeah. Everybody lives around me apparently. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently she moved into Jay Armstrong Johnson's old apartment. Oh. So technically you live near Jay Armstrong Johnson's old house. Amazing. I had no idea. Yeah. It's so funny how many friends I, of other people that I live near, but none of my friends will come out here to visit me. Oh, yeah. Everyone thinks that Queens is like another country. You want to feel like that? Come to Jersey. Jersey. <laughs> you want to feel like that? For coming to my house. <laughs> you want to feel like that? Literally, I'll be like, so it's um, exactly 12 minutes from Times Square, and they're like, yeah, fuck no. Yeah, no. Doesn't no. matter how the short the amount of time is. That's Jersey. That's another it's another state. state. What are you thinking? Yeah, and then. Have you lived in Jersey your whole time out here? No. No. I've lived. I've lived in Astoria. Okay. I've lived in Brooklyn. I've lived in um, Park Slope area. I've lived in. I've lived in. I think eight 
apartments. Eight apartments. How many yeah. years have you been out here? Five. Five years, eight yeah. apartments. That makes sense. That like tracks the way I think my out here living has. Did been. you do gypsy housing? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what my life would be without gypsy housing. So I know. Times. Oh my god. Where, where would we be without that Facebook group? Uh, homeless. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I think I would have just bit the bullet and gone homeless. Remember when they did like artist housing back in the 60s? Yes. Where the Sorry. fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's gypsy housing. Did we ruin it? Did yeah. Andy Warhol's factory girls ruin it? Um, <laughs> I don't know, but he did ruin women in art. But that's not enough, that's not this podcast, and no, I don't want to talk I, about we that. We will do another podcast strictly about that because what a great prompt. <laughs> <laughs> great prompt. Everyone's like, this girl's a fucking nerd. Okay. Um, so I guess I want to start by talking to you, asking you to mm-hmm. tell me a story okay. about your early memories of performing. My early memories of performing? Yeah. Um, well, I did musical theater when I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, before I started writing songs and performing as a singer-songwriter, and uh, my earliest memory of a musical I did was um, Fiddler on the Roof. I was oh. man number one. Oh, and wow. I'm not kidding, I gloated because I was not man number two. So to me, like... Well, you were being, first chair of the show. Of Sure. That's yeah. like that's how I like yeah. qualified it in my head so oh. that I could feel better about the position. I, didn't get, I was like 11 years old, yeah. and the guy who played Tevye was like 18. Of course I wasn't going to be Tevye. For sure. He shouldn't have been either. Anyway, uh... <laughs> we're still but, shading this guy. I know. After like <laughs> 15 was, years yeah. of like, man, you know what? Fuck him. He thought him. he was a real somebody. Yeah. Man, I'll show him. Um, <laughs> anyway, so my line was... It was a horse. Uh, there's a memory for you. I remember really digging into the uh, the text. Wait, is that the part? Because I don't know Fiddler very well, but yes. is that the part in the show when the two, the people have gotten married? No. And then there's is, a baby? No. This oh. is right at the top during tradition, the opening okay. number. Uh-huh. And two guys are in an argument about what this animal was. And man one goes, it was a horse. And man one says, it was a mule. And those were my lines. Wow. I said it was a horse twice. Wow. Yeah, not bad, huh? You're not bad. You're living the dream. I, I got almighty, and then I've just, it's all been up, up, up since then. Um, oh, wow, that's wow, an wow. early memory of performing. I don't know. I've always had a knack for it. It's so funny. I was just yeah. watching um, home movies at my parents' house over the holidays. That's sweet. And um, one of the things that we watched was like, if I was in fourth grade or fifth grade and I wrote a script of the Christmas Carol like my version of it and I directed all of my friends and they were all like sports kids they didn't even know what a play was like Aww. and I like forced them into costumes and this that and the other and we performed it in my parents living room like we built like a little fireplace set and like we just did this full wow. on and that was my first real taste of like creating theater instead mm. of being uh, told what to do. And I think that was kind of the, the early thing that got me to switch to a writer's point of view as opposed to a performer's point of view. But mm-hmm. I always think that both sides of it kind of influence the other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Don't you ever see, can you ever tell like when a writer is an actor as well or yeah. other way around? You, yeah. Like Alex Brightman is such a good example mm-hmm. that he, whenever I see him on stage, I go, oh, I bet he's such a good writer. You know what I mean? And yeah. he is. Yeah. Uh, but like, that's what I mean. I think that's, I was 11 years old when I first had that, mm-hmm. like, 
split personality thing. It all kind of, like, informs the other thing. Yeah, definitely. Like, I was watching the Steven Spielberg documentary. Have you watched Love it? Love the Steven Spielberg You know what I'm talking about? Yes, so, I do. literally, when he's, like, a kid getting all his friends to, like, do the thing and, like, make the silly sci-fi, and they're yeah. like, I don't fucking know what we're doing. Yeah. But, you he know. Knew. He like, knew. Like, he had this vision. He right, was right. going with something. So, when you want to create stuff, you can see it, like, very early on. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. just glad I followed mm-hmm. the instinct to kind of, like... It's like ignorance is bliss a little bit. You mm-hmm. don't know how scary it is when you're doing it. Oh, yeah. The older I get, the more like, I don't think I should try that. But back then, when you're young and kind of dumb, you're like, I'm just going to try everything. And I'm right. going to force my friends to do it with me. Right. You know what I mean? But that's, um, yeah, you can do that. And other stuff, like, it was always my family. My family was so loud and so musical, and my mom was a music teacher, and my dad is a, a very loud, a big personality, and a, a Zeppelin-induced rock drummer. Oh, And uh, okay. there's always music around, and there's always performance going around. Are we talking, like, Neil Peart level? Like, where are we? I would say, like, John Peart Bonham. Like, um. really, he was, like, a Led Zeppelin. Like, John Bonham is a drummer yeah, yeah. Led Zeppelin. He is very much influenced by that man when it came to drums. He hit hard, he rocked out, it was it was badass. Damn. Yeah, it was okay, badass. Okay, that makes sense. Your family is disgusting. Um, oh, yeah, thank you. You're, you're I think... It's all the boils on our bodies. <laughs> your family is so grossly talented that I don't, I feel like the Von Trapp family is shaking. What, are, are, are they all still... They're not with us anymore. I think them? some of them are dead. I don't oh, know. Oh, man, Brigitte. <laughs> Brigitte. <laughs> Poor Brigitte. Oh, God. Uh, that's very nice of you to say. We've And luckily, we all like each other, and that's a really cool thing, too. So yeah. So I think that kind of helps uh, influence the collaborative dynamic between all four of us. Four yeah. of the kids. There's two parents, four kids. Four kids. And three of you guys have a band. Uh, yes, me yeah. and my sisters Casey and Chloe are in a band called mm-hmm. St. Adeline, Cute. and it's like a folk rock pop kind of thing, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it was a very consistent part of the career, but now it's like a every once in a while. When you're all together. Whenever we can find time, because Chloe lives in Los Angeles right now, she's writing. She's killing it. She's writing for Macklemore and like Dua Lipa and like Nile Rodgers and like she is getting cuts on albums and she's blowing up. And Casey's out here as an actress and she's working on every Tom Kit musical that ever gets written. And <laughs> um, it's 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 kind of amazing that we are are all the types of artists that juggle multi pronged careers. I really like that about my family. But it might be that your parents also gave you permission to do. All the things. Sure they did, but beyond yeah. the permission, um, it's it really was they like nailed in a work ethic. Mm. You know what I mean? There yeah. was I think my parents saw that instead of doing my homework, I was spending ten hours writing songs. I wasn't, you know, hanging out with the wrong crowd or doing drugs. No. I was like spending time working on this thing I really wanted to pursue. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of parents who would say, That's insane, don't do that. You gotta get good grades, this, that and the other. Yeah. Uh, they really allowed me to find this path to a career. Mm-hmm. They they could see that I could see it. And I think that was an important uh, mm. part of how they raised me. And they were very good yeah. at individualizing each of the kids. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, here's how we're raising our family. It's like, yeah. here's the attention Drew needs for what he wants to do. Here's what Danny needs. Here's what Casey. Here's what Chloe needs. You know, it was that kind of thing. That's nice. Yeah, big shout out That's... to Kelly and George right now. Whoa, Kelly nice. and George! Ah, <laughs> uh, the, the Lord's work. The Lord's work. Um, Wouldn't know. My parents aren't together. It, it's... What it is? I'm so um, oh no! Pff, I was two and a half. Too. Yeah, oh. <laughs> I'm not selling tickets to my show right now, Drew. <laughs> I don't have a 
show lined up right now. But uh, if you were, we could buy tickets at. Uh, it just becomes about you. Uh, it just becomes. Well, this is my fucking podcast room. I'm doing your podcast <laughs> to promote you. Thanks so much. Okay, I have to because you kind of brought it up before we started recording. Yeah. Um, can you can you talk about Night Shift? Because I yes. I know that movie because of I'm a, so glad you know the movie because not a lot of people do. Here's the deal. Uh-huh. My friends and I, which you're welcome to come to when we have it again. Mm-hmm. Every year we have uh, Ron Howard's birthday party. Oh my god. And we have a birthday party at my house or at my friend's house, actually near by your house, um, for Ron Howard. And so um, that transitions into Night Shift. So Night Shift, which was a movie which was Ron mm-hmm. Howard's directorial debut. Right. It was written by guys he worked with on Happy Days. There were writers on that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, their names are Babalu Mandel and Lowell Gans. Oh, nice. Uh, they're Hollywood legends. They wrote Splash, A League of Their Own. Yes. I mean, the list is insane. Multiplicity. I don't know if you know that movie with Michael Keaton, but that's like mm. one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Night Shift, which I believe was also Michael Keaton's first movie. It may have been. It's really it early. It was like early 80s, 81, mm-hmm. 82 or something like that. Warner Brothers uh, hired me and the screenwriters Babalu and Lowell to write the Broadway musical version of this. We had Kathleen wow. Turner directing. Uh, Sorry, Kathleen Turner? No, not Kathleen Turner. Oh, my God. <laughs> I what was did I just like, say? Kathleen just... Marshall. I'm so sorry, <laughs> Kathleen. Yeah, I don't know why Kathleen Turner just came out of my face because it sounds like those two names. Well, it sounds like it. It's like War of the Roses time. It's, yeah. Kathleen Marshall, yeah. the amazing Kathleen Marshall, uh, directing. And uh, we just we did a reading a couple years ago with Alex Brightman and um, Brandon Uranowitz and uh, Adrian Warren, and it was it was really killer. I was actually just listening to some of the old songs today. That sounds really good. It's, it's <laughs> really really good. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, and I you know I don't know whose feathers might get ruffled by saying any of this, but. Uh, because of how good I think the show is, I don't mind saying it. Okay. The show uh, is really good, but because of the content of the show, mm. it is about uh, prostitutes and it is about two men who become pimps, un- mm-hmm. unassuming pimps. Yeah. They're like nevishy, like neurotic weirdos. Uh, who do it to help a friend out and to get some money, and then these prostitutes become moguls and millionaires. And uh, right, we were doing our readings and we had all this great traction and all this uh, excitement from other theaters and getting it to Broadway and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. And then maybe a month later, I think is when the Harvey Weinstein thing happened. And then we couldn't couldn't really (laughs) pursue a musical about uh, prostitutes because it doesn't really empower women necessarily, especially when it's written by... Uh, you know, three white dudes. But, yeah. Um, Fair. But uh, with Kathleen Marshall at the helm, I really thought we had a new way of telling this story mm-hmm. that was actually very empowering toward women. And I'm sure there's a lot of people rolling their eyes that I'm the one saying this. No, no, but, no. Um, it is still a show that I am so fond of. It is so funny. I mean, it's like the producer is kind of funny. It is so, so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, and Ron Howard came to both of the readings and he. Ron? He had nothing but good things to say about it. He had great feedback. He loved the songs. Tap on my back right here. What yeah. up? Um, and it was a really magical experience. It really, really was. And he was going to be co-producer with Warner Brothers on the Broadway musical. Got it. And it's still an option. This still might happen one day. You know what I mean? I it's it not should. totally dead in the water. So yeah. uh, everyone keep their fingers crossed because it's one of the coolest experiences. Getting to work with Babalu and Lowell. I was going to say, I'm Marshall, sure that was like... Who is like... When you see people do the role do the thing that you know they're good at when you see Kathleen Marshall direct mm-hmm. you're like your mind is blown 
when you see Lowell yeah. and Babalu write, your mind is blown. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I'm the guy thinking, why am I a part of this? How did I get into this? But you don't need that imposter syndrome because you're supposed to be at that table. I, I really appreciate that. And of course, you know, over time, I hit my brain gets there. But like <laughs> yeah. in the initial process of getting these legends in a room and creating something with them, you're right. in awe half of the time. And the other half of the time, you're having diarrhea because you don't want to ruin their property or ruin your first chance at a Broadway show. Or, you know, it was, oh, there was a lot yeah, of pressure. A lot of factors. On that. that was my first Broadway contract, so it, it, mm-hmm. I wanted it to be so good, and I'm really glad that it turned out so good. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have a theater for it. We don't know where it's going next, but that's what I can say about Night Shift. It was a great Fair experience. <laughs> to so where we cool. got it, it was a great experience. But it was it was because I was like looking up all these other things you had done, and then uh, I went, wait, what the fuck? Nice I don't know anything about this. I love that you know Night Shift. <laughs> Honest to God. I just, well, I just picture also like this whole slew of like movies that you Shlew? wouldn't think. Slew. <laughs> Let me say it. But like all these movies where you're like, I don't know how that would work as a musical. And then you can do it. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like you guys doing Weekend at Bernie's. For some reason, I just think about it often. And I'm like, <laughs> you guys should just do that. Like, Man, I don't know why. If anybody could, Alex Brightman and I could. Th- that's what I mean. 100%. Like, of all the people, like, yes. you just cast your friends. And yes. then you're like, okay, so we're just going to get a group of people at New 42. And uh, this is it. <laughs> so I think watch those videos go viral. Then watch it land on Broadway. <laughs> and, then, and then that's the thing. That's the one that goes into the Nederlander next. I don't. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, ever since Newsies, it's been cursed. Anyways, let's talk about. Um, I gotta take a second and tell y'all about my personal training coaches, Steve and Rachel Payne at House of Payne. I've been doing their workout programs, let's say three years, and they shape bodies. And yes, they prepare people to compete in bodybuilding shows, which some of it's your jam. It's not my jam. What I love about them is that they understand the look that I want. Tone, fit, something that's sustainable for my lifestyle. They create a custom individual plan that includes my workouts, my cardio, and my nutrition. I do their online program, but when I'm in Atlanta, I do one-on-one training with them at their facility, and it kicks my ass. They FaceTime me whenever I have questions, alter my plan when needed, and no matter what stage you want to step on, competition, career, lifestyle, a red carpet, wedding, whatever it is, House of Pain personal training is the most personal training you can get. Visit their website, trainwithpain, T-R-A-I-N with P-A-Y-N-E dot com for more details. Tell me, tell me a story about Mark Summers because I just had dinner with him two nights ago. Oh, were you sir? Yeah, I, I really did. He was here for I don't know a split second. He's not here anymore. He just ended the. He just had his farewell tour doing Double Dare Live. He's been doing Double Dare for thirty five years. Yeah. You know. Um, so I met Mark. When I did a production of Grease at Surflight Theater in New Jersey, and I was, it was basically, I got cast as Mark in Rent with Justin Guarini. Oh, and yeah. since okay. they saw me wearing glasses as Mark, they were like, you want to just stick around and play Eugene? Eugene? That's like basically no. how, that, <laughs> how that was. I was doing Grease with Mark Summers out in Jersey, and because he was Vince Fontaine. Vince Fontaine, okay. And I was Eugene. We had no stage time. Mm-hmm. We were backstage the entire time. I didn't talk to him for the first two weeks of rehearsal because I am an avid Double Dare fan and a What Would You Do fan and unwrapped on uh, the Food 
Network. That's like, what, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I'm a huge Mark Summers fan. The sound, the cadence of his voice, I could hear it from miles away. That way he goes, I'm Mark Summers. Like, yeah. it's just like, up, 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 and down, down, down. That's yes. the way he talks. And when I heard it through the corridors of the theater, I was like, oh, he's here. Oh, my God. I couldn't keep my composure. So after a couple of weeks of being scared to talk to him, he was the most approachable guy in the entire world. We are, we've been... Like, he's one of my best friends, I would say, truly. I'm not even saying that for any for the sake of this podcast, but for yeah. the sake of him. He is truly considered one of my best friends. He calls me to check in when he knows I'm down. He's uh, He talks to my parents on the phone. I mean, like, he's just become immersed in my life, and I have in his. I know Aww. his wife very well. When I was in L.A., I went up to Santa Barbara to visit him, and, like, I just love the man. He's been a, an amazing mentor to me. Wow. And we would just monkey around backstage at Greece all day and mm-hmm. like put whoopee cushions in people's shit and like dirty jokes all the all the time backstage <laughs> we had nothing to do we yeah. were never on stage um yeah, and he, so he just ended his like his like reign of double dare which had this reboot yes mm-hmm. um and now that's coming to an end and he's uh he's looking for the next thing I think Mark Summer should start doing podcasts. I was going to say, he should unwrap because people. Because of that voice? He should unwrap people. Sorry. How inappropriate. I'm going to work on that pick art right now. <laughs> Mark, I'm Mark Summers, and I'm going to unwrap another person. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. It's the pauses right when it's, you said it. I'm going to unwrap another person. I was. I think it's weird that you said that about his voice, because my bonus dad is a radio DJ. He's been a radio disc jockey for 30 years. Yeah. And so his, I can recognize like that kind of like, you know, um, vocal quality all the time. And so we would watch Food Network Unwrapped. Because yeah. I, like, watch a little bit of Double Dare. But when I would watch Unwrapped, I was, like, a total nerd about learning how things happened. Sure. I didn't care. Like, I didn't actually eat candy. I would be like, but how did the Necco wafer come to be? Right, and, like, right, right. <laughs> and I would literally see him on Sunday nights being like, I'm Mark Summers. And this is about crystals. And I'm just like, yeah, tell he me about crystals. that show for 12 years or something like that. Too. Yeah, is good. And so... It is good. Is good. And so when I read or heard about your show with him, I was yeah. like, this is not real. Yes. This has to be No, it is very so real. Good. So Alex Brightman and I, uh, we collaborated on writing a one-man show mm-hmm. for Mark Summers. Uh, we interviewed him for two years, just dinners, and things like that and Alex and I were like soaking in all these information Mm -hmm. we asked him questions down to how did you lose your virginity when and where like we got down to that kind of nitty gritty his relationship with his parents which is super interesting his battle with cancer his his very first time doing stand up in Los Angeles the the people in the bill with him were David Letterman and Robin Williams I mean this guy has had a career where was this Laugh Factory where was this this was at the comedy store but this guy has had a career that is so beyond what people expect or know of him that Mm. it seemed to Alex and I that it's appropriate that this guy has his own show and he's Mark's Summers, he's such a present, he's such an icon in front of the camera, mm-hmm. so he started his own one-man show, we've done a couple productions of it, mm-hmm. we're still looking to do something in New York that is half the show and half a live interactive Double Dare thing, <gasps> like a physical challenge, take a physical challenge thing for the audience, which wow. I think would be really fun. I feel like you're just being like, I just want to do the physical challenge. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, <laughs> I very like, much so. This seems like it's Every funny. kid wants to pick the big nose. Everybody yes, wants to yes. pick the big nose. Uh-huh. Um, so I really, I really do love Mark Summers, and I think we, we have a beautiful show Alex wrote the script and I contributed the music and mm-hmm. I wrote the theme song I wrote about his wife that I'm really proud of. It's it's a really, really interesting show because he has a that's really, cool. really interesting life. Well, that's the thing. is like when you have all of that material, you're like, 
we we can come up with something. Oh yeah, like he's got tons of stories. It's truly, you can come up with something. And he's a great actor too. I mean, he was doing great in this show. It's awesome. Whenever it happens, people gotta come see it. We, we will. Yeah, we'll do another we one of these. And we'll promote it. Well, there you go. Um. I'm working on my range, Drew. Um, can you tell me a little bit about Skittles? Cause let me tell you. Yeah. I. I would have sucked a nut to be at that show. Oh. I. You and a lot of people. It sold out, and I think it sold out in like 15 minutes or something. I was like emotionally that. distraught. I can't believe how many Skittle heads there are, and it's not. It's really. I, I know. <laughs> please believe me. When, when the uh, smuggler was the company, the advertising firm right. kind of brought us on to do this. Mm -hmm. And and I'll tell you how this all came to be. It was really really insane. But when they kept on referring to fans of this candy as Skittleheads, I was like, this isn't real. And it so is. It so is. There's like, the, if you follow Skittles on Twitter, mm -hmm. they like, they attack trolls who like shit on them for getting rid of the lime and making a green candy apple or whatever. It's like oh, that's they, real. They shit on the Skittles for changing up their brand and this and the other. These lifelong diehard whatever. And the skeptics that came out when they heard that there was a Skittles musical yeah. as a Super Bowl commercial it was we were pissing people off before the thing happened yeah then we did it it was a giant success it went on to win all these awards yes yeah. uh called it the number one best super bowl ad in the country that year and we didn't even air it was a live super bowl yeah. event that you had to get a ticket to to see it it was totally right. a, a publicity stunt no one saw this thing um and it was it, the whole thing feels like a, a fever dream to me well, and it looks like an acid trip, so it's it, fine. It really was. It was so yeah. insane. So, like, just to fill anybody in who's listening, the Skittles Broadway, the Skittles commercial musical is what it was. Um, the Super Bowl wanted Skittles to do a commercial, and la the year before that, they did another publicity stunt with David Schwimmer, where they only showed the commercial to one person as opposed to like airing it, and that got so much viral buzz around mm -hmm. it that they're like, well, "How can we top that?" They're like, "Let's just do a musical where people have to buy tickets to see our commercial," right? Which is kind of a genius idea. It's yeah. anti-establishment at the same time as totally being uh, part of the advertising monster. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and our anthem was a song called uh, Advertising Ruins Everything. And um, I auditioned for this job, and they basically said, write something that sounds a little bit like Dear Evan Hansen. And I wrote some music that sounded like Dear Evan Hansen, and that's what got me the job. And I ended up working with this guy named Nathaniel Lawler, who is mm -hmm. like uh, one of the craziest geniuses I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah. And the playwright, Will Eno, who is another yeah. immense genius. And someone, I don't think if it weren't for Skittles, I never would have been able to work with these two guys. And they're so good at what they do. Uh, Nathaniel mm -hmm. wrote all those goofy, like, Old Spice commercials. Those really funny ones. Oh, the ones where he's on a horse? Yes, yeah, so, like, he wrote, yes. like, a string of those. Oh, nice. Um, and Will Eno is, is, is you know, like, <laughs> I think he has got like a Pulitzer or something like that. He's like an insane player. Yes. He's got Disturbing. one of those magnificent awards. Mm -hmm. um, and then Michael C. Hall I came on board. And I'm a humongous fan of Dexter. I'm a humongous fan of Michael C. Hall. Yeah. And that was kind of the Mark Summer situation where I could hear his voice coming in the room and I didn't know how to keep my shit together. Mm -hmm. But I went right up. I was like, I'm Drew Gasparini. I'm the composer. He goes, oh, I love the songs, man. They sound great. I was like, okay, this is going to go okay. You're like, are you going to okay. murder me? Or am I sexually attracted to you? I don't know. It was it's both. So, it was definitely it both. It should be he, both. Because he Him tried to. Henley? Right. I can't... I must have seen, I won't say how many times, I must have seen him in Hedwig a, a lot of was times. Was he your Hedwig? Like, is that the one you went to saw? He was the one. He was the one. Him and Lena. 
well, I'll send you some YouTube videos. <laughs> um, no, because he was amazing. And I had always been kind of obsessed with him because I always thought he was like, why aren't you doing a revival of Rent? Like, I was always like, sure. you're that guy. Sure. Like, you should be that guy. Because, like, he did Cabaret and all that stuff. I could go on and on. But he was great in Hedwig. And then he did the um, David Bowie musical right. and New Lazarus, York Theater Works. Right. And I won a lottery ticket the day Bowie died. Oh. And I went, oh, no, I have to go. Oh, and their show... That we, it was just, it was beautiful and breathtaking. So then, when I saw he was doing Skittles with you and all these people, I was like, "This, that has to be the coolest room in yeah. New York right now." It was. Well, mm-hmm. listen, I mean, it was high stress. It was yeah. no sleep for like. Think about it this way: the, the, we performed it. The performance was February third, mm-hmm. and I got the job like maybe a couple days before Christmas. We had to write, rehearse, build sets, costumes, mm-hmm. rewrites, record a cast album, and do a tech and the show Mm-mm. all within like six weeks. It was no sleep. Mm-hmm. It was so absolutely insane. But we have a cast album. It's on vinyl. Wow. It's it, on vinyl? It's on vinyl. That's really cool. I have it in there. Oh, but there, yeah. it's on Spotify, I think. It, was, it is on Spotify. It was an amazing experience. <laughs> it was one of the coolest resume things to put on my resume. No one else has that. And I got to work with Michael C. Hall, who I really only knew as Dexter. And now that I've actually seen him work in this process, let me just say on his behalf, there is nothing this man cannot do. Yeah. You don't you're like, I don't know if he's got the range. He's got such a low voice. And then he's like such a tenor, good God. Really? And he's got moves and he's like, oh my and he's such an earnest actor in the comedy part of it. Yeah. It made the laughs even bigger. He is outstanding. The whole crew was so so good. It was stressful, mm-hmm. but it was a lot of hugs and high fives when we pulled it off. It That's really, cool. It was really cool. I feel like you've had a lot of these like really great like Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am experiences. I have. Yeah. I, I, I don't think about them a lot, but <laughs> now that I'm talking about them, I go, oh, yeah, I guess I like, have. This was great, and we had three weeks, and it's like, wow, Yeah, it's what? nuts. It's nuts. That's not And normal. we had three weeks. Maybe I work better under pressure. May- well, maybe just up until this point, you've not had, like, the tenure of doing, like, a three-year-long True. show, whatever. Right. But I, I digress. <laughs> so... Tell me a story about, well, I, I guess we can kind of talk about this. You create new things all the time. Mm-hmm. You're constantly doing it. Yes. Um, can you kind of tell me a story of how you even started doing that? Like after high school, did you just like run up to New York and you were like three bucks, two bags, one me? No, kind <laughs> of. Again, this goes back to the idea that ignorance is bliss a little bit. Mm, okay. I, I say this all the time. If I had chosen now as mm-hmm. a time to move to New York, I don't think I would have done it. Yeah. I think I had to be a little blind to how scary it is out here. Mm -hmm. And not to deter anyone from, you know, moving out here. It's a wonderful spot. Um, But it takes some getting used to. It is really hard. Mm -hmm. You do get cut down a lot. And on your road to success, you it's hard to see the success you're gaining. All you see is the failures and how long it takes to get to where you think you need to be. Uh... I think it was right after high school. I didn't want to go to college. Uh, I went to college to kind of appease, you know, whoever <laughs> thought I should go to college or whatever. And every, yeah. all my friends were going. And it was kind of, you know, I'm 33 now, so this was 2004, 2005-ish, right? Mm-hmm. And that was certainly a time when you, that there wasn't even a question. You go to college after yeah. high school. That's what mm-hmm. you do. And while I was in college, I realized that I don't need to sit through these classes mm-hmm. to do better, to know any better and stuff like that. Um, 
creating new things is what I've always wanted to do, whether it's like a Christmas carol with my friends when yeah. I'm young, whether it's writing songs with my siblings, whether it's writing songs for myself. And then once you kind of hit that wall in one of those realms, you go, mm-hmm. what else? What else? And writing musicals was always something in the back of my head. And when I lived in Los Angeles, I went to school at Musicians Institute for about five seconds before I dropped out. Okay. Uh, I wrote a musical. Uh, I sent it to um, Nymph. Mm-hmm. Remember Nymph? They just ended this year. Yeah. They're like, no more. Uh, but they wrote, I submitted it to Nymph. They wrote a handwritten letter back to me that said, and I thought it was so important because it was handwritten. I was like, oh, these that people are nice. business. Goodness. <laughs> uh, it was probably because they didn't have like money or interns or whatever. So, <laughs> um, so I, I read the note and it said, your musical sucks, but the songs are pretty good. If this is something you, you're thinking oh. about doing, move to New York. We suggest that you meet some other composers and do that. And that's, I, I mean, like maybe days later, I came out here. It wasn't. It wasn't wow. long at all before I was like, I'm just going to go. You just needed one excuse. That's all you needed. I guess I. You I just needed, needed the, the one. There piece was always of paper. something. I was always fascinated with Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you know if I, mean? I could live on that corner, it's so, all going to happen for me. <laughs> um, you know, the false idea that Friends gives you about New York and like Seinfeld gives you about New York mm-hmm. and Sex and the City gives you about New York. Oh, yeah. You kind of you build up this fantasy of New York in your head, and I was always a little scared, and I think I needed that little. Mm-hmm. You should come here kind of push and I, it really got me out here yeah and out here for i'm on 12 years now uh wow so Damn. exciting and <laughs> i'm creating new things all the time mm-hmm. and that means for me i hope every writer hears this if you're a writer and you write for yourself and if you write musicals and, and all that kind of stuff you're really going to plateau unless you start collaborating i think collaboration <sighs> is the heartbeat to art i really mm-hmm. do i think it really takes more than one head to make something good into something great mm-hmm. i really really do and i i don't know that i would have allowed myself because i had a certain level of success while i was in los angeles as a singer songwriter yeah that i was maintaining all alone mm-hmm. and when i got to new york the importance of being scared and needing the safety net of people around you kind mm-hmm. of enforced this idea of collaboration into my right. life and it has totally uh, pushed my career into volcanic uh, places yeah. I never thought it would go in a lot of senses you know mm-hmm. what I mean the, the skills yeah. thing was gigantic yeah and that was such a frightlingly collaborative like shoulder <laughs> to shoulder with Michael C. Hall right that small amount of time trying to make something good trying to make something good that's it you're just trying to make something good yeah everybody's always trying to make something good but if you don't have a collaborative person with you whoever it might be Mm -hmm. you're really kind of dead in the water anyway i'm very but no 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 but that's that's something that i don't but like that's (laughs) (laughs) i'm not held to anybody uh no the thing is is that like i don't first of all i didn't even go to like art school at all because i i was just so scared to do the thing and i just needed one little push to come to New York and do that. Absolutely. But they don't teach you in school. And I don't know about musical theater programs because I'm not in one. But from what I see, they don't teach you that you're going to need to and learn how to collaborate. Uh, You are correct. Let me go ahead and on this record (laughs) shit on some musical theater schools for you. I really don't think any musical theater school prepares students to come to New York. Not at all. Yeah. They give you the history of musical theater. They give you the skill set, which you already have to get into the school. Or also, like, you can theater. nerd out you any can day sing, of the you week. You can dance. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No one mm-hmm. knows how to get a survival job. No one knows what auditions out here are truly, truly like. Yeah. No one understands that we got to stop giving the idea of type 
Like, stop telling girls they're this type, so those are the roles you should be going in for. Yeah. Because that doesn't exist anymore. It really doesn't it exist doesn't. now. Yeah. And I, there, I think it's good to go get your degree, and it's good to get an education, but if musical theater is really what you want to do, look mm -hmm. at the program, look how much it costs, then realize quickly after that, you're not going to be able to afford to pay those loans back with any theater job right no. away, at least. No, mm -hmm. You might as well pursue this and get your education through the classes you can take in mm -hmm. New York, through the one-on-one -on -one courses you can take, the coachings you can take the coach with, with yeah. people like me or Tom Kitt or like yeah. composers who want Literally people Google to any succeed fucking person that you will like. teach you. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, it's true. Mm -hmm. Anybody who has a career is here to coach. Lindsay Mendez coaches and she's on goddamn television now. Yeah. God damn it. You know what I'm we saying? We love Lindsay. We love Lindsay. <laughs> yeah. I just, I want people to see beyond college sometimes. And I think as a yeah. society, college is getting looked at with a really, really uh, uh, tight microscope mm -hmm. and people are starting to have a different idea of it, especially with arts colleges. Yeah. So to all of those college programs, as someone who has come to most of you and taught master classes, I am begging you, school your students on how to sing pop rock, not just golden age. School your students on how to get a survival job once they leave the program. Mm -hmm. School your students on how to collaborate. <laughs> and school your students how to do something else outside of the skill set they're majoring in. If they are a theater major, teach them how to do lights. Lighting. Teach them how to do costumes. Yeah. Teach them how to get involved with casting, directing, writing, for the love of God. Mm -hmm. This is a big pool with a lot of people, right? So if these actresses who are going in for auditions or these actors going in for auditions are going in for auditions and getting rejected and rejected mm -hmm. and rejected, have another qualifying aspect within the field that entices you mm -hmm. and interests you to have your hand on the pulse of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Don't mm -hmm. just limit your dream to the one thing you like to do. Theater is magnificently yeah. widespread, broad, and there's plenty of room for everybody. Mm -hmm. And one career could lead to the next. A costume person could be in the right room at the right... You just don't know. Yeah. You know, that might all sound a little outlandish, but I'm telling you as someone out here, I'm looking at the microphone as I'm saying this as if I'm talking <laughs> to someone person. else out there. Please, please, please inform your students that life outside of college exists and that the audition you have to get into the college is zero percent like any <laughs> of the auditions you do in the real world. I hope every college listens to this. I truly yes. do. Anyway, sorry. I'm emailing I'm Michigan. I'm calling them right now. <laughs> CCM, all the things. Uh, no, but it's just so funny because I always felt like I was missing something because I didn't have that degree right. from, you know, the colleges with, you know, that we're talking about. Right. And then, like, that I didn't do juries and I didn't stand in front of a group of people in, Please. like, a black little dress and, like, with pantyhose and Please. seeing Laren's and Like, I, I you yeah. know, I... I thought, and and now I'm just so thankful that like I've had like people in my life to go like you don't have to wait on it like you can just write for yourself. Yeah, you can like do things. You if can... the thing you want to do doesn't exist yet, make just, it. That's the best it. part about being in an artistic field. Yeah, it's been like the most liberating work, year, literally. Mm -hmm. Here we are doing a podcast. You know what I'm saying? I think that's really cool. See, there's an entrepreneurial mind that every artist needs to kind of evolve into. I yeah. think, and I think that is part of what uh, a curriculum in a college program that teaches theater should focus on. Yeah, but they, but they don't right now. They don't. Maybe they'll they hear this and be like, you know that Drew Gasparini's on to something. You know what? He gets it. We should have him come do a master class at our college, <laughs> and then it's like 10 minutes. <laughs> or we'll just minutes. get banned from all of them. <laughs> Can you just sing? Like, we're not, it's not a Q&A. <laughs> Can you just sing? You've been yelling at us for a half hour. This is not a master class. We didn't sign up for us. It's like four girls. Um, and they're like, I loved I could use a drink. And you're like, you can't even drink. Um, anyways. <laughs> um, fuck. Where was this even going? I absolutely freak out when it comes to singing harmonies. I hear someone sing a different note than me, and I assume I'm wrong. I've always looked for a better way to train my ear and give myself more confidence in my harmony singing ability. 
Now I get to tell you about my new go-to app, Harmony Helper. Playbill Features writer Ruthie Fireberg calls Harmony Helper a lifesaver for auditioning actors. Broadway con star and Harmony Helper artistic advisor Rob McClure has called the app a game changer for the musical theater industry. Harmony Helper will help you develop the skills to harmonize using the newest tech available. With Harmony Helper, I can literally scan a sheet of music with the camera on my phone, and the app does some kind of witchcraft and maps out the harmony parts. It converts each line of music to audio, allows you to control the playback volume for custom control over your learning process, and then this, this is the crazy part. It provides real-time feedback to let you know if you're singing your part correctly. Take the rehearsal room into your own hands with Harmony Helper. Download it in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Oh, can you tell me about, because you have... Uh, one day, and I'm 100% serious, I'm going to have all the morons in one room. Yeah. And right now, they're all, like, booked and busy, which is, like, fucking Slightly. rude. Yeah, so sorry. <laughs> it uh, is what it is. Um, but I'm obsessed with, like, your friend group being your friend group and also, like, you guys meeting and collaborating and working together, blah, blah, blah. The meeting uh, is all happenstance. For those who don't know, the morons are uh, me myself, um, Alex Brightman, who is playing Beetlejuice, Tony nominee, Alex Brightman, two-time Tony nominee, Alex Brightman, uh, who is currently starring in Beetlejuice, uh, F. Michael Haney, who is currently starring as Olaf on the tour of Frozen, and Andrew Cobra, who has done every Broadway show for the last 100 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just moved out to Jersey, where he's been doing all the paper mill shows. Oh, like, really? Yes, his life is he's very like convenient. He's like married with baby. Married with baby, he's with dog, on. with house. He's very adult. He's the most adult. He's the adult moron. Yes, I would. It's he's also, I think, the tallest. By by several inches. So that might yes. be it. Uh, I love Andrew Cobra. Anyway, we all met. <laughs> I think we've all known each other about 10 years now, wow. and we all met doing. Um, just concerts back when like the newmusicaltheater.com thing was such a big deal with like Carrie and Loud and Milk and Joe Iconis and Ryan Scott Oliver and mm-hmm. uh, how many times have you heard someone sing Quiet by Jonathan Reed Gelt you know what I mean like that only 82 only 82 times yeah, yeah. okay interesting uh, so it was in the hype of that era and all these concerts are going down and I was one of the new composers and these guys were singing you know Andrew, Alex and F were singing oh. in a lot of these concerts and we all kind of met that way, and we just made each other laugh. And I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier before we started recording that it's kind of funny. We're all, like, straight white dudes, so maybe the bro about it all is yeah. what, like, hooked mm-hmm. us together. I really think that has very little to do with it. Um, we're all not super bro-y dudes at all. No, <laughs> like... oh, I don't mean bro is in, like, a wordy I mean it in the sense that you guys kind of... It feels like you all have the same, like, tongue-in-cheek sense of humor and, like... Yes. We, yeah. That's certainly what it is. It, mm-hmm. Like, if, if you're going to get married to somebody, mm-hmm. uh, you want to make sure that you guys laugh about the same things. Otherwise, that's going to be a really uh, struggly it's an awkward kind of four years. relationship. <laughs> yeah, I'm <Yeah>. so sorry. <laughs> uh, but these guys, we clicked right away, and we laugh about the same things, mm-hmm. and we all have little isms that, you know, might rub the other one the wrong way, and I, I think we know how to navigate that as friends. Mm-hmm. And because we've known each other so long uh, and so well, 
we hardly see each other anymore. We have a text yeah. thread that is endless and every day, and you know, we check in and this, that, and the other, but our lives and our careers, our separate careers, have all taken us into so many different directions. They're so different. It's like once, twice a year that we get to have breakfast. I mean, and it's like a it's fucking breakfast. You yeah, know I mean? yeah, yeah. So it's like not even like, like I can get together at nine. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, he's got a kid, and, and uh, Alex has got the show, and like, so we all try to work around everybody's schedule when we hang out. Mm-hmm. But back in the day when we were kind of realizing what made us like each other was this sense of humor we all started collaborating on mm-hmm. this thing that was called the morons and then we didn't give ourselves that name i think mark summers called us the morontourage once and then it what? kind of evolved into the morons and we wrote a pilot called the morons and uh we did a <clears throat> a variety show called the morons happy hour at the slipper room which is a burlesque venue yes. on the lower east side uh, and I would do that every weekend of my life if I had my druthers. Yeah. Um, I would, yeah, it's just hard to perform with them now. You can go on YouTube and find all sorts of crap about oh, us you can. performing. And it's, it's, a lot of it is a little tongue in cheek and a lot of it's borderline offensive, but it's all meant in good fun and we're not trying yeah. to offend. We're really trying to be silly. And, uh, I don't know. I love those boys very much. I it's really, just really sweet. Do. It's hard. When I moved up here, I thought that friendship was going to come so organically, and then I realized that I came from a very small town. Yeah. I went to school with the same people my entire life. Right. I mean, my graduating class was like 100 people. Oh, man. Like, so I was like, oh, yeah, friends. They're just going to come. Yeah, <laughs> and no. And New York is so it's big. Coming, I always tell people coming to New York is like going to kindergarten for the first time. It's so You're scary. like, will you, you want to get a drink? You want to yeah. get a coffee? <laughs> you, will you be my friend? It really does feel like that. So yeah. when you find someone you click with, yeah. hang on to them for fuck's sake. I mean, yeah. you don't know when the next one's coming along who actually clicks with you. Yeah. New York's got 11 million people in it or whatever or something yeah, like yeah. that. It's cuckoo. Um, and I, I, I said this to you earlier. They're literally like the last group of friends I actually feel like I made. Mm-hmm. I'm friendly with people, and I, yeah. I, and I have a lot of people I care deeply about. But in terms of like friends that I've physically that gone you and made, in. yes, yeah, and taken the time to like uh, cultivate a friendship mm-hmm. with these, this foursome of ours is the last one of those, uh, for me at least. Yeah. Know. Um, and gosh, I love him. I miss F so much. He's on tour. I miss him. I, I miss him all the time. I yeah. think about him all the time. I got their pictures all over my wall, and like we're best pals. I love him. It's getting and weird. Alex and I, sorry, it's getting a little <laughs> romantic and seedy here. Uh, but Alex and I, like through our friendship, this really mm-hmm. goes to to beyond like friends. If you're an artist and you find the friend that sees your vision. Mm-hmm. There's something beyond friendship there. There's a new marriage right there. There's mm-hmm. a collaborative marriage. And all four of us collaborate very well. But Alex and I in particular, when it comes to writing, yeah. really spoke the same language and really mm-hmm. finished each other's sentences. And we've written four musicals together at this point. Wow. And I'm I'm more proud of the next one that we do. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like I don't see this as a as as a collaboration that ever stops. It might slow down because we individually have our own stuff going on. Yeah. But we make good stuff, man. I'm not even trying to brag. Like, no. He brings That's out the good. best in me, and I yeah. think that whatever I'm doing for the stuff that he's doing enhances what he's doing. I mm-hmm. really think it's a a rare collaboration in that way. But I think you guys also just, like, listen to each other. Which people that say they're collaborating don't always actually do. They're no, like, we do. Well, no, no, like, I do the book and, like, you do the music and, like, that's what it is. If there's a respect level yeah. that, was, that was right away. Actually, Alex and I in particular have a really interesting kind of, like, uh, meet cute little story. When we, when we first became pals, 
I it was again we were doing these concerts and it was like one of these concerts that was like at midnight or mm-hmm. like it was Broadway sessions. It was one you know yeah. what Broadway sessions is. Mm-hmm. So it was really late at night. <clears throat> I think I was performing at one in the morning and he had just performed like a little a couple songs. Really drunk. He was really drunk on stage. <laughs> I've seen YouTube videos of him at this point, but I'd never seen him live and that was that oh, didn't live up to any other YouTube you videos didn't I saw. Know him yet. I didn't know him yet. <laughs> I didn't know him yet at all. I was just watching him perform, and then I was like, huh, okay, that's not the Alex Brightman I've seen on YouTube, but nice. Uh, Anyway, then I went on stage, and I started, you know, pounding the piano like a chimpanzee and playing my songs, and uh, he sat in the doorway and watched a bit, and then when Mm -hmm. I got home, he had sent an email to me, or maybe a Facebook message, I don't really know, saying, hey, man, you don't know me. My name's Alex Brightman, but I stayed around for a bit of your set. I just want you to know that I'm a huge fan of what you do. I really like your stuff. If you ever need a singer, blah, blah, blah. It was Mm -hmm. like like that kind of thing. But again, I had watched him on YouTube for like years before this, doing Ryan Scott Oliver music, and I was like, dude, I, like, in my head, I was like, Alex Brightman just emailed me? Like, I've been watching this kid on YouTube, you know what I mean? But because he came yeah. at me with a compliment and saying he liked what I did, there was this mutual respect right at the top of our friendship. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's why it's so easy to collaborate with him. We know what we're capable of. We know that we have this big picture. Right. Uh, we do this thing called dad walks. Oh. Uh, you know how like moms go on walks together sometimes in the morning, like First in the all, suburbs? I like what you're doing. Yeah, if no, you I'm... guys can't see, but he's doing the shoulder shrug a la when Harry met Sally, Billy Crystal, Very much. and Bruno Kirby yes. walking the streets yes. of New York. Rest in peace, Bruno Kirby. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so we do these dad walks where mm-hmm. we just talk about what our next separate, our, our individual next right. big thing is that we're doing, and then we kind of leap on to, okay, so when are we going to work on, it's kind of a funny story, when are we going to work on Whipping Boy, when are we, we yeah. talk about our projects, and then it's like, we have a coffee, and they're like, okay, I'll see you later, you know, it's really like a mom walk. But that's how, but that's <laughs> how you walk. can get in your time. Absolutely. That's, Make that's time. If you if you collaborate with your friends, that's mm-hmm. how you get to hang out with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, yeah. You're working together, so you have to see them. You have to do it. Yeah. I've been, like, FaceTiming my best girlfriend in D.C., the one who's, like, the political whatever, because yeah. she's helped me work on another, like, writing project, because she still has, like, that creative mind, and I don't want her to get lost in all this Trump shit. Yeah, dude. Like, and so I'm like, hey, like, let's keep working on this because I think it also keeps her spirits up and yeah. it keeps my spirits up. Absolutely. And, um, you got to do it. You have to do it. You got to, you got to do it. You got to just do it. I was actually going to, you just. <laughs> Plug for Nike. Just do it. Just do it. Best ad campaign ever. Because you said that, I feel like I need to show you. When Alex, when I walked in that room, when you guys were doing your, um, it's kind of a funny story mm-hmm. workshop and Alex uh, came up to me and I was like hi um uh, my name is Grace hi nice to meet you and he was like yeah yeah I know I'm Alex I like I'm doing the thing and I'm like yeah I don't know. <laughs> but I um yeah <laughs> I had like half met him because you just said Ryan Scott Oliver yeah I used to sing um that 35 millimeter um cut you a piece song that he did I love this song all the time like in the shower blah 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 like that was my jam and I made the mistake at the, I think it's like the third preview of School of Rock. I was outside, because I was surprised. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was going to be really bad. Yeah. And I so, thought it was going to be I think a lot of so, people so, so, thought so it was going to be really bad. Yeah. yeah. And I was like in the audience, and I was like, I am blown away. This guy is the next, like, he's the next thing. And yeah. I was like so excited for him, like a freaking nerd. And, and I legitimately, this is a quote that my friends will tell you. I said this. I was like, he needs to do like a Blues Brothers remake. Like he's that guy, and and yeah, yeah. And so I was like, <laughs> and I was like, he's gonna be our guy, like for sure. 
as if no one's discovered him, as if I have discovered right, right, him, right. like a fucking idiot. <laughs> You're giving yourself all this credit. I love that. I'm like, here's what I'm going to do for him. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm a casting director. <laughs> I go to, like, the stage door, because I was like, I just got to tell him how great he is. And then he comes out, and I, um, I, I got flustered, I guess, and I was like, hey, um, you were so good. I sing with you in the show. And he I was sing with you in the shower? Uh-huh. Yeah. And he was like, oh, um, yeah, I don't think my girlfriend would like that. Uh-huh. Or, like, just the way I was saying <laughs> yeah. it, I was, like, coming on, and I was like, no, no, no. Um, you're, like, you're good. Grace. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, well, like, let's take a picture, like an idiot. And then I can't find it, but I'll show it to you. I look like an absolute dweeb. And then I put in my Instagram thing, like, told him I sing with him in the shower, but it got weird or something. I love that. And so, like, I just have always been like, don't ever run into Alex Brightman. You're a weird person. No, he's and a lovely guy. He's really nice. A and, of course, guy. he meets, like, a million people, like, at yes. the stage door. I think that we think when you're at a stage door, like, everyone's going to remember this interaction. I bet he forgot about you the Immediately. Which I, and I hope he did. <laughs> For your sake, I also Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but it then was you just... got to work with him, and that's even better, because you got to spend time in the right, room with him. Right, and I was like, I'm never going to let him know. You know what's really funny about being any friends with any of us? I think we can all say this is like uh, Co- uh, Cobra and F, like F at, at the stage door, Frozen. Someone might be like, I listen to your song on Drew's album all the time, or something like that. Mm-hmm. When people tweet at me like their stage door picture with Alex, I'm not in the picture. They just want me to like see. I was going to say, I, I just told you a story. I met Alex, right. but it, but that's a, such a strange thing. And at the same time, I'm like, I love that our friendship. Mm-hmm. is bigger than we are. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, people mm-hmm. are so aware of our, our camaraderie and our friendship mm-hmm. that they let the other morons know of their love for one of the other morons. I think that's really kind of cool. Well, I think it's they like picture being you as a family. <laughs> well, right, right, right. I have my picture with Harry Styles, Niall Horn, whatever. I don't even know their names. Those are the only two I that I famously matter. hate British people, so that's right. Oh, okay. Uh, we succeeded. Like, we succeeded. Like, we're not... I don't have to, like, you. Yeah, that's true. No, we won. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm... Okay. Like, um, do you yeah. see Hamilton? Have you? Are you? Which I yes, I have, and you should go. Oh, have you seen it? Yes, of course. I wanted to do well. I just wanted it's, to stay. I, it's struggling right now. I so. get nervous when I see stuff like that because I'm like, it, you know, this could close any minute. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Fucking it's fickle industry. Okay, so this part. This yes. is called short story. Short story. And this is the part of the show that everyone has to do, mm-hmm. regardless of their comfortability on it. Okay. So um, Some version of torture. That's cool. Yeah, there's something there. Uh-huh. Uh, but basically what happens <clears throat> is I will give you a word, and yep. then you will have two minutes to tell me a story that reminds you of that word. You don't have to use the word. And it doesn't have to be a true story? or no. Okay. And it, it's... Okay. It doesn't have to be a true story? What are the restrictions, I guess? Is, two is... minutes. That's it. That's it has it. to be two minutes, and it has to revolve around the word in some capacity. It doesn't even have to. Oh. The word is just a prompt. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could have said giraffe, and you told me a story about a panda, and I'd be like, oh, Drew, you failed. Yeah. No, <laughs> okay. Yeah, you fucked up. And, and what there. happens if one does fail at this? Is Nobody there some fails. sort of, like, see, now you should incorporate that in the next bunch of episodes. Yeah. If someone fails, incorporate some sort of punishment right. or... I sound twisted, they have to but... Have been me a <laughs> exactly. Okay, so here we are. <clears throat> yes. Short story. We are doing this live yet again. Okay. I'm going to give you a word. <clears throat> I've been sitting on two words. 
Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Oh, you God. give me a word or I give you a word. Is, oh, we, oh, we both, both do this. Do oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, uh, okay. Kind of like some freedom. Uh, let me let you go first, and I'll give you a word then. If that's if okay. that's clutch, I kind of want to see where your brain. Tan- no, no, no. You know what? I want to yeah. go first. Okay. I, okay. I switched my mind up. Okay. Um, your word is burp. Is burp? Mm-hmm. This is kind of a crass story is that okay do your your viewers listeners do they mind that it's crass uh, my cat will love this uh this is partly based on truth and partly not mm-hmm. for the sake of <laughs> anyway so this is in i lived in los angeles uh in hollywood and uh something kind of tragic happened so I lived on Hollywood Boulevard in Fairfax, which is a very residential area, okay. kind of close to the base of the Hollywood Hills, West Hollywood, that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Each side of the street is covered with pine trees, okay? Mm. And I was sitting at home one day. We had a ground-level apartment, and I was sitting at home with my roommate. His name was T-Bone. That's not a joke. T-Bone. And uh, we heard no brakes we heard a car just smash into one of these, like, literally unpenetrable trees. Like, these trees don't fall down. Like, they are, like, buildings, like, totally stoic and statuesque. And we just heard this car slam into it. And we ran out there, and it was a really gruesome scene. We saw the person, and uh, there was a lot of screaming, a lot of blood, horrible thing. The person following behind them was a friend of the person who just got in the accident. Mm -hmm. And, um... They were young, they were underage, and they were driving home from the beach, and she was following her to make sure that she didn't get in an accident, because I think they'd been drinking. Mm. And uh, so this accident happened, it's a really gruesome scene, and since we were at a, an apartment nearby, we said to the girl, we said, why don't you come into our place and, and you know take a sec to breathe, and while the police and whoever needs to get here, get here. And uh, <clears throat> something happened that night that changed my life forever, because I'd never honestly heard or seen anything like this uh we're sitting on the couch ikea furniture and we're watching like family guy or something like that just to get her mind off of things and she was a little tipsy herself she should not have been driving uh she said i don't feel well and she stood up and she burped and she farted at the exact same time and my mind was blown i'd never heard that sound before because it was basically a very low end belch of a burp but a very high end squeak of a fart so like imagine those two sounds simultaneously slapping out of a person wow. it was well uh, that's your two minutes okay well that's basically the climax of the story so there you go <laughs> i love that like all this tragicness uh-huh. and but honestly that's the most tragic <laughs> Is that there are other people to hear it. So now it is your turn, Mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. So I have to give you a word, any word at all. Any word. Okay. Yeah. Uh, It might sound silly, but I mean it in earnest. It's not just fun to say. Pumpernickel. Pumpernickel. Okay, that's weird because um, in sixth grade, there was a boy named Skylar Hartshorn. And I was like, that guy is the guy. He's not. Um, But anyways, he works at a Filipino restaurant in my hometown, which, like, God bless. Glad there's a Filipino restaurant in my hometown now. Mm -hmm. Shocking because we famously do not even consider other nationalities. So, Skylar Hartshorn works at that place. But in, like, sixth grade, we were all going around. And you know how everyone wanted to be the most interesting person in the world? And they still... 
I still do. Mm. Uh, but I feel like in that time, you're like, okay, so this kid has an allergy. They're pretty cool. And, like, that kid broke his arm. You know, and you're like, that every, every kid has to have a fucking thing. Mm. And then there's, like, the kid, you know, you've got, you, you're allergic to peanuts. Like, you get to sit at a cooler table. Like, okay. Uh. And then, like, I wish I had any of these. I, little did I know I had a lot of problems. But I could not maximize and utilize them to my fullest marketing potential at sixth grade. Wow. And so everybody was like, what's your favorite word? And, like, all the guys were, like, saying, like, dumb shit, like, boots and all this stuff. And I was like, my favorite word? Pepernickel. Wow. <laughs> and everybody, like, that year was like, Grace, like, knows cool words. Wow. And I was like, yeah, I pretty much do. Like, I have a lot of words. Um, much like Donald Trump. Uh, yeah, but, he like. He knows so many words. He knows so many words. And I also knew so many words at sixth grade. Uh, and that's what makes me think of Pumpernickel. Yeah. <clears throat> there you go. Was that two minutes? No, oh. but that's all I can do. That's all I can do. Um, yeah, I feel like that's wow. Kind of that. So that, that's, how much of that was true? That was all true. Was that all true? They're, they're usually all true that's when amazing. I do them wow, because wow. there's a lot. I'm amazed at how fast you like rocketed into pumpernickel. You're like, oh, pumpernickel, amazing. Because blah, blah, blah. and then you named this dude. You got there. That yeah. Was fun. Well, when when you go through a year of UCB. Uh-huh. <laughs> When you give them, let's say, a thousand dollars, yeah, over the course of a year, and then you're like, "Well, what can I do with this?" Yeah, and then you have this podcast. You're like, "Oh, that one thing we it. did every single week. This is the thing. That's my favorite thing to uh-huh. do." This has been so great. Good. I, I I don't. Yeah, I feel like the more I ask you about these stories, the more you would like blow your other stuff like are you are you working on something new are you working on something right now that you don't mind talking about i don't mind talking about because a lot Um, of your stuff is secrets i know you yes well there's two things that i'm working on that are actually really really exciting for for the year of 2020 and one is a song cycle called we aren't kids anymore which is uh the album we have a cast album coming out with bonnie milligan lily cooper uh raymond lee nicholas christopher and colton ryan all people who i think are like those are like my fave voices you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and so that's coming out in the spring we were doing like we're gonna try to set up a mini tour of that going on and we're gonna license the rights so that other theaters and stuff can do it it's a really really wonderful show that i'm proud of um and the other thing that i'm working on which is like super big shit is uh i'm writing the music and lyrics to the karate kid for broadway which is massive uh and the funny thing about that actually Mm -hmm. just to bring it back to skittles for one minute one of the cast members when we were doing auditions and we were looking at tapes of people Mm -hmm. was a girl named julia macchio who is Ralph Macchio's daughter. daughter. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so hysterical because the day that we started working on Skittles was the day I found out I got Karate Kid. So I met Julia Macchio on the same day I got the job. That's and bizarre. I, isn't that so weird? That is really bizarre. And then bizarre. at the closing, at the, when we had our little closing night party for yeah. Skittles, opening and closing night party, yeah. uh, <laughs> right. Ralph Macchio was there and I went mm-hmm. up to him and I told him all about it. And he was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. He's like jazzed as hell about this. Uh, and that it's is really so funny. And, and here's what I'll say about it if anybody's listening and if anybody gives a shit. Uh, Karate Kid the Musical is going to defy whatever you think that movie would look like as a musical. It really, really will. We That's have an great. amazing director named Amon Miyamoto, and uh, he's a visionary genius. 
and I just think we got something special. So that's what I got wow. going on. I'm really excited. And thanks again cool. for having me on your podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, you begged me, so this is uh, yeah, a no, favor yeah. for your mom. <laughs> I like her a lot. We're doing what we can with your career. Anyways, okay, thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Chris. And goodbye. And one time... The kind of story we need right now. (laughs) Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists. What they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.